Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. said, Everything that we see is a shadow cast by that which we do not see. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. What we think of as hard reality may not be that solid after all. It is a shadow, as MLK called it, a symbol for something bigger and more substantial. Heaven is the place of infinite consequence, and since that's where Christians are headed to live forever, it's a place worthy of more investigation. Jim and the author of Hebrews are happy to help us out with that. Let's do one another a favor. Bow your heads right now, and you think of that friend to you, perhaps a neighbor, uh, perhaps a, a relative, someone that you know, and you have reason to suspect that they do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. They may be religious, maybe a wonderful people, moral, upright, taxpaying, and all those things. But you lack assurance that they're trusting Jesus and that they have the deep inner assurance that when they die, they'll go to be with him in heaven. Or put it this way, if the telephone rang tonight and you discovered that your friend has suddenly died, would you have the assurance? Would you be able to go visit the calling hours and say to friends there and family, oh, I knew Jack. Jack's in heaven tonight. I know that he trusted Christ as Savior. Do you have that kind of confidence? Pray for those folks. Just pray for them right now. So, precious Father, thank you for the wake-up call for me the other day. Thank you, Father, for the incredible, incredible privilege of being able to tell folks Jesus saves. He saves. He has judged sin on our behalf. He has sacrificed himself in our place. He saves us from sin, from death, from banishment, from an awful place called the lake of fire. He saves. He invites whosoever will to come, trust in him. And he puts salvation on the bottom, bottom, bottom rung of the ladder. Even a child can understand it and respond. Help us to be better witnesses of your grace, clearer witnesses to our friends and relatives. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be confident that it is the power of God unto salvation, and all one has to do is to believe to receive, to accept. Give us eyes to see opportunities to witness, share the story, confirm to others the experience we have of knowing you as our Lord and Savior. We ask that you would do these things for your great name's sake. And we ask these things for Jesus sake. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, please, to one of the most exciting passages in all the Scripture. It's found in the book of Hebrews, and tonight we're in chapter 9. Chapter 9. It's exciting because it focuses our attention on the core value, 
Most of us have been intimidated by the little axiom, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. How many of you have heard that? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. Yeah, we've all heard it. How many of you have been accused of that? Stand up if you've been accused of that. <laughs> no, I won't ask you to do it. Yes, I'm sure you have been. And I'm sure there are many here tonight who would say, yeah, and it has this intimidating effect. What I want to show you tonight is, from God's Word, Christianity is all about heaven. It's all about heaven. We forget that. Look with me, please, in chapter 9 of Hebrews, where the apostle is writing and contrasting the new covenant with the old covenant. The old covenant had the priestly system and the temple, the tabernacle temple, the sacrifices of animals and the high priest and all the ceremonies and all of the laws and all of that. That's what the Old Testament, the old covenant was. The new covenant is the one that God promised to his people through the prophet Jeremiah and then effectually brought into function through his prophet Jesus Christ, who is the prophet and the author and the fulfiller of the new covenant. He's contrasting the comparison between the two. And we come to this marvelous point of his, of his contrast. Notice verse 23, Hebrews 9:23. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies, the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices. He's talking about the blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices. Specifically, he's talking about the time that Moses inaugurated the covenant back at Mount Sinai with the blood of bulls and goats. That's what he's talking about in the previous paragraph. Okay. It is necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves. Now, what's that? But the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. Now, let that sink in. It's telling us that everything we have on earth are copies. And that's especially true when it comes to the temple, tabernacle, animal sacrifices, the old covenant with the huge temple there in Jerusalem and all of the rituals and the annual ceremonies there. It's saying that those are copies, icons, uh, models, if you please, built in stone, and they are there to mimic or to represent another set of realities that remain in heaven. Look at it again. Necessary for copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with animal sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified. You mean there are impurities in heaven? That's what this says. That can mean several things. I'm not sure I can tie it down to one thing. I'm not sure anybody can. For one thing, it means that, that the original sin took place in heaven. Lucifer defected in heaven, not on earth. 
the outcomes of that defection in heaven had the impact in the Garden of Eden with our first parents, and we all know that story. But when the serpent appeared speaking to Eve, when he's introduced to us through that, through that experience, he already was defective. He had already violated God's rule, God's law. He had already discounted God's word and had declared anarchy. And that took place in heaven. So there are some nuances of that that constitute a reminder to God and to the holy angels of the defilement of that event. Remember that when the serpent spoke to Eve. His design was to pull man and woman who had been created in God's image after his likeness, a position, as far as we know, unparalleled in all of God's creation, the epitome of God's aspiration through creation. Satan desired to draw those whom God created with the intent that ultimately they, Adam and Eve, and their offspring would rule over all the angels. That's what Scripture teaches, and Satan wanted nothing to do with that. So he revolted against God. So there's some stench, perhaps, that's the way to think of it, some memory, some essence in heaven. And remember that Satan is still there tonight. He will not be kicked out of heaven permanently until the midpoint of the tribulation period. That's at the same time with the abomination of desolation, the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. And you read about that over in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, where Michael and his angels make war against the devil and his angels, and the devil and his angels are cast to the earth irrevocably. There's no more place in heaven for them any longer. Okay. So out of that, perhaps, this defilement resides in heaven. Remember also that uh, heaven is the place where reconciliation takes place. By that I mean when Jesus became man, the Bible tells us that he himself knew no sin, but it took upon himself the defilement of all men and reconciled them to God by his death on their behalf. Now, take a big deep breath, a second swallow of coffee now, because I want you to think very clearly. <laughs> we make a huge thing out of the resurrection of Jesus, and we should. But we should make a huger thing out of the ascension. That's where the action is. Because, you see, every person that's reconciled is reconciled unto God in heaven where the efficiency and the effectiveness of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ are acted out in the application of that to sinful men. Being born again, that phrase in John 3 says, you must be born, the phrase is, from above. From above. The new birth is something that has to do with heaven. It's something that takes place in heaven where God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit unite their energies, their forces, their redemptive work on your behalf, exercise that in you and call you out of yourself and give you a new nature. That takes place in heaven. Its effect is on earth. And that reconciliation is for heaven. 
Let me say that again. That reconciliation is for heaven. So you, you might want to say it this way, that the dirtiest work in the world today is done in heaven, where God receives those on earth who are sinners and by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ applies that work to their lives and they become new people, members of God's family, members of God's kingdom. That takes place in heaven. Now, the rest of our study tonight is going to focus on that point. Heaven, heaven, heaven. You'll be reminded tonight of two passages of Scripture in other parts of the New Testament, one in Ephesians and one in Colossians. You'll, remi you'll be reminded of Colossians chapter 3, which says, set your affection on things above, not things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your affection on things above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of the Father. That's heaven. Listen, your salvation will never make sense until you put it in a heavenly context. When you come to know Christ here in this life, in this world, you're behind enemy territory. This world's dominated by Satan. Bible clearly tells us that. He's the prince of the power of the air. And it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness in the heavenlies, in the heavenlies. That's where the demonic spirits all are headquartered. Uh, that's where Satan is tonight, and it's from there that he launches his attack against us. So when you become a member of the kingdom of God and you're behind enemy lines, this is not heaven. This is not the final product. As a matter of fact, if you were to list all the benefits of the new covenant that are ours already in Christ Jesus, you right now are experiencing maybe one-tenth of one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent. What's ahead of you is out of this world, literally. We are so connected to this world, and we think of this world as so important, and it's important. But it's heaven that really matters. And you'll think of that verse I just cited in Ephesians. There's another one that talks about all that God has blessed us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All of our blessings are waiting for us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Because that's where Jesus Christ is now. Right now, he's, he's at the right hand of the Father. Okay. So heaven, heaven, the abode of God, is critical to the Christian faith. It's not pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. It's reality. It's the essence of reality. It's where there is no shadow cast by turning. It's where the fullness of God's mercy and grace is abundantly manifest without, without restriction, without adulteration. Or to put it another way, it's where God can and is God, and that's manifest without any dilution. That's heaven. And you were created for that. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
and your soul will be restless. Your soul will be restless until it finds its final rest in that place where Jesus is now. Now, the first sentence tells us that there was a need in heaven, not just on earth, and that that, that need for cleansing existed in the realities of heaven. And those realities were mirrored in the models of the temple and the sacrifices, the priesthood here on earth. But all of those earthly things were temporal. They were shadows. The substance, the realities, remained in heaven. Now look what the writer tells us about Jesus and heaven. Look at him, please, in verse 24. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture here. Watch. For the Messiah, that's Jesus, did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, which is only a model, true one. He entered into heaven itself that he might appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to offer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people, for men, to die once and after this judgment, so also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. There are three appearances there. There are three, um, what do I want to call it, events that are cited there. Each of them used the word appearance. Messiah appeared, appeared, and will appear. Now, those three phases all have to do with bringing heaven to earth. Let me say that again. Those three appearances all have to do with bringing heaven to earth. You and I are not going to change this world. Ain't going to happen. Only God can do that, and God's going to do it. He's going to do it in that third appearance. Now, we have three appearances here. One is he goes into the heavens to appear in the presence of God. And the third one is he comes back, the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. But the second time he appears, that's here on earth. The second time he appears, it will not be an issue of sin. He will not come to bear the sin burden of the world. That's done. That's over. That's complete. That's finished. By one sacrifice, he finished it. And that sacrifice is when he appears before God as the sacrifice for you and me. There are three appearances there. 
And that kind of models or the model for that idea undoubtedly came to the writer as he studied the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies twice. First time he went in with blood as a sacrifice for his own sin. He came out, he entered a second time with blood as a sacrifice, a sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people. And when he finished that, he then came out, and when he came out and appeared at the end of that second time, the people knew that the sacrifice had been accepted, that God was appeased because the high priest was still living, he wasn't struck dead, and his physical appearance back on the, on the outside of that veil which separated the Holy of Holies. Am I confusing you? When he came out that second time, he came out having accomplished his work. What was his work? He appeared before God on his own behalf with sacrifice. He appeared before God for the people with a sacrifice for them. And then he appears to the people on behalf of God. See that? Sometime you need to send a school class and you want something quick, there's something quick. You can easily fill an hour just talking about those three appearances of Jesus Christ. But the thing the writer wants us to see is that what he did on the cross was effectuated in heaven. That's where the significance of the cross had its full impact because there Jesus Christ appeared. He appeared first as the sacrifice himself. He went face to face with the Father as one who had died, but who had died as innocent for the guilty and therefore was resurrected. He then appeared in that appearance, he appeared before God as the sacrifice for the people. And that sacrifice was acceptable to the Father. And the Father then applies the benefit of that sacrifice to us in heaven. That's where salvation takes place. It affects your heart, affects your mind, but it's a heavenly transaction. He will come a second time, that is, he'll return, he'll make his appearance to the world a second time, but he won't come the next time to suffer and die. He will come to rule and reign. Got it? Paul told the Corinthians, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. That sounds like the compliment to Jim's statement that your salvation will never make sense outside a heavenly context. Our Hebrews series continues with the sermon, Settled in Heaven. You can have the sermon on CD for a gift of $7 or more. It's part of our series, God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. And there's a CD album including all 19 sermons available for your generous donation of $66 or more. This will be our last time to speak with you in the year of our Lord, number 2023. We can't tell you how much we appreciate your support this year. Your prayers for us, your gifts to God through us, we've been blessed by each one. The Right Start family isn't large. We could use some more members, but we're truly thankful to those who help us spread the word. Please mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. Again, 800-984-2313. 
And on the internet, visit rightstartradio.org. There you can repeat this radio program or play programs from the audio library. And you can play or download entire sermons. The radio show is also released every day as a podcast. That's what the On iTunes link is about. You can donate securely online, too, at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. We think of two appearances of Jesus. Jim counts three as he reads Hebrews chapter 9. On January 1st, he'll give us the explanation. Please join us then, and we'll get the new year off to a right start. <laughs>